This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. All right, if today is your first Sunday with us, or maybe first Sunday in quite a while, you're joining us on week five of our summer message series where we are working our way through the book of Philippians called Keep Moving. Now, Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a church that he started in Philippi, and he is writing to encourage them. Paul writes from prison, so he's unable to be physically present with them. But he writes to remind them uh, that he knows what they're doing, he's heard good reports, and he just wants to encourage them to keep moving forward in their faith. And so our hope uh, this summer at Christian Chapel is that it is a summer of encouragement for us to hear those same messages from the Scriptures, from the Holy Spirit to us in our situation of, hey, God sees what you're doing, keep going, keep moving forward, keep taking your faith seriously, keep letting it work into every part of your life, and, uh, and we'll just see what God does through that process. Um, last week, I shared with you, you know, about four weeks into the series, I felt like one of the things God spoke to me was, hey, if we're going to spend a summer seeing how Paul encouraged the church he was responsible for, um, I felt like God was telling me to take time at the beginning of each of these messages just to encourage you as the members of Christian Chapel of things that I observe in you that we just need to keep pressing forward in. And so um, this week on the, the heels of Royal Family Kids Camp, it was simply a matter of choosing which which encouragement to offer, because there were, were so many of them. The one that stuck out to me, though, um, so Richard and Sharon Baruman were the founding directors of Royal Family Kids Camp. About five years ago, Eddie and Don transitioned into that leadership role when Richard and Sharon stepped down. Richard and Sharon still go to camp with us, and they still serve as national trainers for Royal Family Kids. So they travel around the country, training new directors, helping start new camps. This year, there were 230 Royal Family Kids Camps across the United States which is a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Over 15,000 volunteers will serve with Royal Family Kids this summer. It's an amazing organization. And Richard was telling us that at one of the, the meetings at the national office, they were telling him of the 230 camps that they have, only five of those have been consistently able to completely staff their camps with volunteers from one local church over the duration of their camp's life. Almost every other camp um, has a a pretty big start and people are excited about it. And then slowly and over time, the the number of volunteers kind of dwindles down and they're they're forced to reach out to other churches, which is fine. That's that's completely wonderful and great. Whatever it takes to serve uh, kids in foster care, we're for and we're we're happy about. Um, But what I want to encourage you with is for the entire 21 years that we have done Royal Family Kids Camp, we have been one of those five churches that has been able to completely staff from the membership of Christian Chapel. Um, And that is a a testament to you. If you look through the list of 230-some churches that provide Royal Family Kids Camp, we would not be anywhere near the list of the largest churches. The church is far larger than us that do it. And yet, in in some unique way, God has woven uh, this care and compassion for children in need into the hearts of so many of you. And so I want to encourage you, those of you who are serving, who have served, who are considering serving. And and this attitude of service isn't restricted to royal family, but we see it all over the place at Christian Chapel. Um, And my, my encouragement to you is when you serve, don't just serve to fulfill a religious obligation. Don't just serve to check a volunteer box, but serve understanding that God will work through your efforts to achieve his purposes. At Christian Chapel, we do not believe that we simply volunteer in certain areas of service. We believe we minister in areas of service. 
And that in every place we serve, in every place we give our time, our energy, our talent, the Holy Spirit is working through it to bring his kingdom, to reveal God's love to people who desperately need it. And so to to all of you who went to camp, who have gone to camp, who are considering going to camp, who stayed home so someone else could go to camp, thank you so much for that. And to any of you who are considering, man, I I do feel like I should start serving, maybe with Royal Family, maybe with some other ministry, I want to encourage you, uh, reach out to one of our pastors later this, this summer as school starts. We're going to have some um, opportunities for you to see all the different areas where you can be engaged in ministry at Christian Chapel. And I just want to encourage you to jump into those because as you serve, not only do you help others grow in their faith, but you will grow in yours as well, become even more personal and more powerful. And that kind of leads us directly into the passage that Paul is going to present us with this morning. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where Paul teaches us basically, hey, once you've been saved, it's time to get to work, right? That, that what God has done in you, he now wants to work through you, and he wants to work out of you into the world around you. So if you have a Bible, you can read along with me. If not, it'll be here on the screen. Paul writes in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, Paul begins here uh, by connecting this idea of obedience and transformation. He's teaching us obedience is the, the demonstration of transformation. And Paul's concern is not the Philippians' personal obedience to him. It is their obedience to the gospel that Paul has given to them. And what he's, he's really encouraging them with is, hey, I know you obeyed when I was there, but now in my absence, even more, it's important for you to obey. Remember, Paul's writing from prison, so he's not able to be physically present as a source of encouragement, telling them, keep going, keep obeying. And he's kind of directing you and I to this understanding of at some point, our faith has to mature past our obedience depending on someone else, right? It's fine for you to be introduced to Jesus by your parents or your grandparents. It's fine for you to have a, a powerful spiritual mentor who helps you in your relationship with the Lord. It's fine for you to have a pastor, a worship leader, an author who just really speaks to your soul. But what Paul is trying to help us understand is there comes a point in each one of our relationship with the Lord where we have to learn to obey in the absence of any of those spiritual authorities. That faith has to become yours. Now, you've, you've had this experience in all kinds of areas of your life, whether you know it or not. You know, it, when I'm driving down 169, and I look in my rearview mirror, and I see a Tulsa police officer, I am suddenly the best driver in Tulsa, right? Phone goes down, hand goes to 10 and 2, I am signaling every lane change, waiting three seconds, checking three times, slowly merging over. If somebody wants to merge, I am happily braking to let them get in front of me, not speeding up to try to get in front of them. Right? I, Whatever the speed limit is, I am dropping two miles an hour below just to make sure. All of these kind of things. Right? Same thing when I was in school. I was the ideal student when my teacher stood by my desk. I did not talk. I did not look at my neighbor's paper. Or, I mean, honestly, sometimes when my teacher moved my desk by her desk, I was the ideal student. You know, there there are just those moments of as long as the authority is there. Now, if, if you saw me with my kids later this afternoon out in public, 
and they're, they're asking questions. Guess what? I'm going to be, as long as I know you're watching me, I'm going to be the most patient, loving, kind, thoughtful father. I'm going to answer their questions thoroughly. I'm going to give them hugs and affirmations and positive words and all these kinds of things, right? Now, because you're watching, and I know you're watching, and all, but when all of that's gone, how do I drive when the officer's not there? Good enough, right? How did I behave when the teacher wasn't watching? There's a reason my desk wound up by hers, right? How, how do I parent my kids when no one else is around? I'm getting better, but there are still some short moments, right? There, like Don talked about teachable moments. I, God presents me with a lot of those, and my response is, be quiet. Like, I, I need to get better at that. Um, you know, and I also need to learn a teachable moment does not result in a 10-minute lecture. But that's a, that's a whole nother, because sometimes it's like, oh, thank you, Lord. Now, Connor, what this has to do with is Martin Luther, back in the river, and, you know, and I can just see their eyes roll back in their head of, oh, my goodness, Dad. Uh, so, so, but what Paul is trying to help us understand is there are lots of areas in life where you can do the right thing when the right people are watching you. But the gospel becomes powerful as it becomes personal. And so we all have to allow our faith to sink deep enough into our heart that it's no longer about my mom or dad are with me and watching me. My grandma's praying for me. Uh, I'm with my pastor. I'm in these spaces. Our spirituality and our commitment to it, our obedience to the Lord cannot be rooted in other people or in our circumstances. Because those things will always change. We have to reach the point where we are spiritually immature enough that we will obey even if it causes us to be left out, even if it causes us to be different, even if it causes us to be ostracized or uncomfortable, that our obedience is a demonstration of our transformation. And our obedience must be constant. Now, the, the problem for us spiritually is that in the same way we obey the, the traffic laws when the officer is behind us, we are very good at obeying Jesus when we're in the proper context. So as a teenager, I uh, went to a public high school. I think I had maybe four or five Christian friends in my school. On the, the basketball teams I played in from junior high all the way through high school, I was the only believer on any of those teams. And so there were, uh, I had a lot of experiences growing up where my obedience to Jesus forced me to be different, and I didn't always like it, right? Because it, it meant that with my basketball buddies after the game on Friday night, if I was going to be obedient to Jesus, I could not go drink with them. And that, that meant I'm going home now with my parents. And that wasn't always fun. I wanted to hang out with my buddies. And so, but every year I had this little island of hope in the summer, and it was called youth camp. And our church, we would go to a camp near Wichita, and there would be four or 500 other junior high and high school students who would come to that camp. And it was just this, this really awesome week. You know, there were counselors there, your youth pastors, youth leaders who, who loved you, who encouraged you. You got to play fun games all day. You got to uh, go to services at night with speakers that you really enjoyed hearing from, with great music. You had these, some pretty powerful times of prayer. And, and it was just kind of this week of encouragement, this week of, and there was one guy that I went to high school with who also went to my church, and he and I were sitting there one summer, maybe like our sophomore, junior year, and we kind of had that talk of, wouldn't it be awesome if this was our high school. Like, this would be great. We, it would be, we would be such great Christians if this was our high school. Because first of all, our parents aren't here to pick fights with us by trying to tell us what to do all the time, right? So that eliminates a whole section of sin right off the bat. And then my siblings don't live with me at camp. 
And that's awesome because now I don't fight with them and I don't say things I'm not supposed to say because of how they make me feel. And, you know, all of it. So all of that's removed. And then now we're in this environment where the constant encouragement is follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, not just from adults, but from our peers as well. Wouldn't that be great? Right? And, and then I looked around and realized I might be the best basketball player at this church camp. The team would be terrible, but I would be really good. Like, that would be fun too. And, and so we kind of had this talk of if only. What would it be like? Right? But that was not where God had placed me. And, and still as adults, sometimes we have those moments of, man, if I could just, if I could completely surround myself with the people I go to church with, if they could be in my office, if they could live in my neighborhood, if they, and if we're not careful, what we, what we wind up striving for is creating these little kind of Christian bubbles where we don't know anyone who challenges us in any way, where obedience is always acceptable, where obedience never makes you stand out. But that is not where God has placed us. He has called us not to be light to one another, but to be light in the darkness. And so for me in high school, it meant I had been planted in a public high school where it was hard to follow Jesus. For many of us today, it means you've been planted in an office, in a neighborhood, in a family where it is hard for you to obey Jesus at times. And yet what Paul is telling us is if you have really been transformed, you're going to be obedient. And as the gospel becomes very personal to you, you're also going to start to experience the power of it. You never know God's power as long as you're relying on the circumstances you're in or the abilities of others to lead you in your relationship with him. When you're required to obey in the absence of all external motivations, that's when you know the gospel is taking root. That's when you know you're being made in the image of Christ. And, and just in case we don't get this, uh, Paul begins to show us that this is a really serious part of our lives and something that we should really be engaged in. And he tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, depending on your church background, um, this little line here, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, um, could possibly bring up some bad memories for you. Because there is a temptation to hear work out your salvation as work for your salvation. But that's not at all what Paul is saying. And so, again, now, when we're reading through Philippians, we're doing our best to say, what is Paul saying here in this text to these people? How does that now apply to us? But we also want to be aware, Philippians is not the only letter that Paul wrote. It's not the only place where we're told about salvation. And so you can go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and you'll see there that Paul tells us, it is by grace we have been saved through faith, not by works, so that none of us can boast. And, and so salvation is not something we are going to ever work up to. You're not going to earn it, right? So work out your salvation does not mean you need to be holy enough so that God will one day save you. So all your efforts at scripture reading, at praying, at being a part of a believing community, at serving others, these are all the outflow of your salvation, not an effort to attain your salvation. And it's a really important point for us to remind ourselves again and again and again, because many of us are naturally works-oriented. And in most areas of our life, we are rewarded for our work. And so it can be tempting to think, okay, if I'm going to work out my salvation, it means I'm going to earn this. But Paul is so clear to us in Ephesians 2, in Galatians, in Romans, that the only thing we have done to qualify for our salvation is sin. That's our only contribution to the process. All I've done is do everything wrong. 
That's, that's, that's the point at which I engage in the salvation process. And God's response, which Paul has just shown us early in Philippians 2, is to send Jesus, who empties himself of all of his rights as God. He comes in the form of a servant. He lays down his life on the cross. He's resurrected that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, that Jesus is Lord. So salvation is about Jesus from beginning to end. He has fully and completely accomplished everything we need. And so what Paul is telling us is work out, not work for. So he's saying you've been presented with this new reality. And the new reality is you are the son and you are the daughter of God. You have been remade in the image of Christ. Your relationship with him has been completely restored. Your relationships with others has been restored and is being renewed. And now because of the salvation of Jesus, you've got to work out how does this new reality change the way I see the rest of my life. What Paul is telling us, as as we looked at a couple weeks ago, is what you believe affects what you do. So we're going to work out our salvation. This morning, I was, uh, I was walking in, and Sundays I usually get here uh, pretty early before everyone else does. And, and so I was getting out of the car, and I, I got my computer bag, and I picked up a cup of coffee. One of my kids has a, a basketball game later this afternoon, so I grabbed a pair of shorts and some tennis shoes, and I was, I was walking across the parking lot, and I was kind of walking with my head down. And all of a sudden, I heard this, <clears throat> and you know how your mind in, I mean, you have that fight or flight. That, that kicks in, and you, in the span of, of literally a second, can tell yourself an entire story, right? And you, it's amazing how, like, just the, the complexity of the brain and the way it all works. And so, so in that moment, head down, I hear this, <clears throat> I, it sounded to me like the growl of a big, mean dog. And we, you know, we see some dogs running around at times. And, and, and so in my mind, I'm saying they're coffee in one hand, shorts, shoes in the other hand, and thinking I'm about to look up and there's going to be a pit bull 20 yards away from me. Because it was that, I mean, you've heard that deep growl of the dog. It was like, if you've seen Sandlot, that was what I heard, right? <laughs> and that was the fear I felt. And, and in that split second, it's this thought of fight or flight. Flight is not an option because all the doors at the church are locked. And so if I flight, I'm going to run up to the door and that dog is going to maul me to death and somebody's going to find me by the west entrance when they come in an hour. Right? And, and that would be the Sunday of like, remember when our pastor was dead from the pit bull? Like, it would be a memorable day, but not a good day. So flight's not an option. So then it's like, okay, well, I got to fight. Right? And, and so I'm gonna, first I'm going to throw the hot coffee in the dog's face. And then I'm going to try to beat it off with my shoes. And then we'll see what happens from there, right? Uh, and hopefully somebody will come. But in, in just that moment, I was convinced I was faced with this new reality. There is an angry dog coming for me. And now I had to work out, what am I going to do about it? And this is exactly what Paul is telling us. In your salvation, you have been confronted with a new reality. God has saved you. God has redeemed you. God has restored you. He has remade you in his image. And so now you've got to figure out, how am I going to work that out? How does that now change my marriage? How does that affect my relationship with my kids? How does that affect my job tomorrow? How does it affect the way I spend my money? How does it affect my entertainment choices? How does it affect the way that I use my vacation days? How does it affect all of these kinds of things? A new reality must always be worked out. Now, thankfully for me this morning, by the time I raise my eyes up, I see that it's just an older gentleman who's been walking at the park. 
and apparently has a significant amount of congestion that he is trying to expel as he walks through our parking lot. I have never been happier to hear snot roiling up out of someone's chest than I was this morning. It was just like, thank you, Jesus. Um, And thankfully, he was far enough away that I don't think he heard the little yelp that came out of me when I thought, oh, you know, that." uh, so, so everything, everything turned out just fine. But what Paul's telling us here is, look, confronted by a new reality, you've got to work it out. And then he tells us, if you're going to work it out, you better be serious about it. And so he says, you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, again, depending on your church background, fear and trembling could cause you to think that we are intended to stand in terror of God. Right, that, that God somehow is standing above us just waiting for us to screw up. And we need to live with this awareness that he is always right on the verge of taking it all away from us. And, and so if, if you grew up in that kind of setting, you really believed that it was your actions that determined your salvation. What Paul is trying to teach us through all of his letters is it is Christ's action that has won our salvation. And now we are going to live in this new identity, and we're not going to get it perfect all of the time. But my mistakes do not cancel out my identity as a son, as a daughter of God. Because he is gracious, and he pours out forgiveness and mercy on me over and over and over again. But we do not take that mercy for granted. We do not treat that grace cheaply. Instead, we are going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Another translation of that says, work out your salvation with holy awe. Just this, this, this awareness of I cannot believe what God has done for me. I can't believe that that God would know every single part of me, that he sees the darkest corners of my heart that I never want to tell anyone that I have never told anyone about. He sees that, and his response is not repulsion. His response is to move towards me. And when I consider that, I'm going to stand here in holy awe, in fear and trembling. And I'm going to say, Lord, if you love me that much, then can you please take that salvation and start to work it out into every single part of my life? Like, I, I can't hold back anything now. When I, when I see all that Jesus has done for me, I understand the foolishness of trying to create a little spiritual box in my heart that I keep him in and I let him out when I need something. I start to see, no, he's the God who's over all, the God who's above all, the God who's in all things, and his salvation is thorough and complete. And and so the question then, as I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, is this constant evaluation of, does my life reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? Now, again, this is one of those questions that can easily be heard as, okay, here comes the guilt, right? Right? Here here comes the part where we're told all the ways that we do not reflect a serious commitment to Jesus. But that's not it at all. As we're working out our salvation, we're growing in the righteousness of Christ, not in self-righteousness. We're growing in our understanding of his grace and his works, not in in our efforts and our work. And so when we begin to ask these reflective questions of does my life reflect a serious commitment to Jesus, we do that not with trepidation, but we do that with joy, knowing that, okay, if, if I come upon some spaces where the answer is no, God's not going to kick me out of his family, but instead he's going to say, let's get to work here. Let's fix this. Let's resolve this. So does my life reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? For me, this means does my approach to being a husband to Angie, 
reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? Does the way I treat each of my three children reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? Does the way I approach my free time reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? Does the way I, I embrace rest and reflection reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? Does the way I treat my coworkers reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? Does, does the way when you look through my bank statement, does it reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? When you look at my personal calendar, does it reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? When you look at the way I, I not just treat others, but the way I think about others, does it reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? When you look at my family calendar, at the, the things we're letting our kids do and the places we're making the investment to make sure they are, does it reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? When, when you look at who I'm following on Instagram, does it reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? When you look at the, the, the watch next recommendations on my Netflix account, does it reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? I mean, this is what Paul is telling us. There, you are never going to come to the level where Jesus says, I don't care about that. And the deeper you dig, the more he's going to reveal. Does the, the browsing history on your, your computer or on your phone reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? Does the way you talk about the people you say are your friends reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? Do the voices you allow to influence your life, the way you see yourself, the investments you make, does it reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? This is what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're not working for it, but we're growing in our understanding of just how thorough the salvation of Jesus is. And so we're opening up every corner of our heart and we're saying, God, shine your light into the spaces I have tried to keep dark and shine your light into the spaces that, that I don't even know are dark. And what Paul is telling us is we can have tremendous hope in this process. Now, when, when you come to that idea of personal evaluation, I think, I think we kind of approach that in two ways. Some of us get really, really excited about it, right? And typically, you're the person that enjoys reading personality books, uh, right? Like, you know, the Enneagram type of every person in your family, and they do something annoying. You're like, you're such a type eight, and they have no idea what you mean, right? Or, or you're the one that uh, you love lists, and, and so you're already thinking, man, I can't wait to get home today, and I'm going to lay out, I'm going to get the spreadsheet going, and I'm going to lay out all the areas of my life, and I'm going to evaluate. Is, you're going to go through your bank statement line by line, Qdoba, 895, serious commitment to Jesus, yes or no, right? The answer is yes, by the way. Like that, just good job there. Just check yes, and you're good. Um, you know, so, so you're going to work your way, right? If it says PETA vegan palace, the answer is no, uh, you don't. <laughs> So just now we're all on the same page, so you can work your way through. But, but some of us, we get really excited about asking this question, does my life reflect a serious commitment to Jesus? And others of us are horrified by it because we know the answer. Right? And so we start to think, I don't want to make a list because all lists do is provide tangible proof of all the things I'm bad at. Right? They just show me like, yep, fail, 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 fail. I don't need that. I don't need a report card for my life. But regardless of your approach to that, if you get really excited about, yes, I can't wait to do it, or you get really nervous thinking, I don't want any part of that, Paul finishes with an encouragement to us here that, that really is our source of hope. He says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
And the, the point Paul's trying to make here is as you work out your salvation, what you're going to learn is God is at work in you. You're going to grow in his righteousness, not in self-righteousness. You're going to grow in an assurance that the outcome has already been achieved. Your job is now to be obedient throughout the process. And what I want us to, to think about this morning is how different would this week be if you knew all your problems were going to be resolved by Friday? Right, so you go into work tomorrow, and you know the headaches are coming. You know the challenges are coming. You know all of the normal things. But if you knew by Friday, I will not have a single problem left. It will all be resolved. You're going to work with peace. You're going to work with grace. You're going to have a lot more patience for your coworkers, for your clients. You're not going to be as tempted to go home angry and upset. right? Because you just know, hey, by Friday, it's all worked out. In your relationships, if you knew by Friday, he will finally be the husband you wanted him to be right, then you're not going to get so annoyed on Tuesday night when he's still sitting on the couch, right? It's just not going to happen because you're going to know, hey, Friday's coming. You're financially, if you knew by Friday your finances would be perfectly in order, that, that all of your poor choices over the past several years somehow would be taken care of, that you would have money, not just enough to make it by, but enough to be generous, to give to others, not just that your needs would be met, but your whole view of finances would be changed, Man, can you imagine the peace that that would bring to your heart and your mind? Physically, if you knew the challenges you were facing, if you knew by Friday, the pain will be gone. By Friday, the diagnosis not only will have been delivered, but have been resolved. By Friday, everything will be over. By Friday, I will feel as good as I have ever felt in my entire life. If we had that kind of assurance, it would change the way we walk out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Because we would walk knowing Friday's coming. Deliverance is coming. Hope is coming. Salvation's coming. Everything I need is going to be fulfilled. This is what Paul is trying to get us to understand here. You're going to work out your salvation. You're going to take it serious. You're going to obey when I'm with you and when I'm not. And the reason you're going to do it is because it is God who wills and acts for your salvation. Your salvation was his idea from beginning to end. And what Paul is telling us is the outcome is secure, so now you and I can be obedient in the process. We're not working up to earning our salvation. It's already been given to us. The guarantee is already made at how it's going to end. And so now we're just going to be faithful through the process. It's what David writes in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. And he, he, he's there. He's, he's on the front end of it. He's in the middle with you. He's on the other end of it. He's leading you through it. Where you are is not where you will always be. And so many of us stop working out our salvation because we decide in this moment right here, it is not what I want. And if you're not going to give me what I want, God, I'm not going to take another step in obedience. And he's trying to tell us, no, 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 you already, you have everything you need. You're going to receive everything you need. Just keep being faithful in the process. You think, but what if I'm never healed? He's saying, well, look, one day you will be fully and finally. This life is not all that there is. But, it, but even if it's not my desire, my, not my, my will to heal you, I'm going to be with you all along the way. Your salvation is not going to stop. My presence is not going to stop. The hope I bring is not going to stop. Even when the circumstances are, look like they're completely stacked against you and there's no way out, Paul's reminding us it is God who wills and acts. 
It's not on me and my will. It's not on me and my action. It all rests in him and he is always capable. Again, we have to read it in context. Right before this, he says, it, God exalted Jesus to the highest place. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. He's giving us this high, exalted view of Jesus to help us understand wherever we are here, he's above it, he's over it, he's at the end of it. So just keep moving forward. Keep being obedient. And ultimately what Paul is telling us is God is going to be faithful to finish what he has started. Your salvation was God's idea from beginning to end. You did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to design it. Your only part in the process is to receive the gift and to walk in the obedience that he enables you to walk in. The salvation of your spouse was God's idea from beginning to end. And so all the things that you hope he will do, he is more committed than you are to doing them. The salvation of your child, of your parent, of your friend, of your neighbor, all of them, they are God's idea and it is his will and it is his action that will achieve his good purposes. And this is where our hope lies. There are a lot of situations we walk into and we don't have the answers. Right? We, we, face, we got people in our, in our church that are facing sicknesses and when I talk with them, I have absolutely no idea what to say. All I can say is, I'm sorry, and I'm praying for you. And I don't know what God's gonna do, but I believe he will never leave you in this process. And no matter how, I, I mean, I, I know what that's like to be in that physical pain where you're wondering, is this ever gonna go away? Am I ever gonna find relief? Is this gonna be, am I gonna kind of be on edge for the rest of my life because of the physical pain I feel? I've been in those spaces and I, it's just that you just kind of have this underlying agitation all of the time. You know, what Paul is telling us is, hey, it's God's will and it's God's action that accomplishes God's good purpose. And sometimes he delivers us from that pain. Sometimes he sustains us through the pain. Sometimes he just leads us through. But whatever he does, he is willing and he is acting in our lives to accomplish his purpose. So our job is just say, Lord, have your way in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the pain, right? There's some relational drama. There's some financial difficulties. There's all sorts of things we face and we cannot see the end. What Paul is trying to assure us of is Jesus has seen the end. He's written the final chapter. It ends with you, with him in paradise, in perfect relationship with God. And all of these things are gone. Every tear has been wiped from your eye. All the bad is gone. This is the space now where you live. So just keep that big picture. As we stand on the, the backside of Royal Family Kids Camp, this is the encouragement that we take as, as those who've interacted with these kids over the week. Many of them are, are going home to loving foster families. Some of them have been recently adopted and, and they're going into homes with moms and dads who love Jesus, who feel called to this uh, ministry of foster care. And so for us at Royal Family, for, for those kids, this week has been an opportunity for us to come alongside and reinforce the messages that they're learning in their homes and at the churches that they attend. And so for them on Friday when they leave, it's, it's really a pretty happy experience of, man, we love you and they love you and, and God is with you. But then there are some other kids who come to camp with us and, and we know they're not going back into those environments. We know that unfortunately some of them return to some foster care situations where they're viewed more as a source of income 
than as a child made in the image of God. We know that, that some of them have to go back to group homes because there's no one willing to take them into their home. We know that some of them get dropped off on Monday by one caregiver and they're gonna be picked up on Friday by another one because they've been moved to a new placement during the course of the week and it's just one more transition. We know through our interactions with kids in the mentoring club that over the course of the next year, most of them are, are going to move to different homes, they're going to move to different schools, their life is gonna be one constant state of transition. And, and when we sit there, you can easily think, what good is it? Can a week at camp actually make a difference? And yet what the scriptures tell us, what 21 years of camp experience tells us is yes, it can, because God is faithful to finish what he starts. And what he started in the life of each child this week is a message of love, hope, and acceptance. And for some, it is a continuation of a message they've been hearing. For others, it will be an island of hope that they will return to again and again and again. And some of us, God's gonna call us to partner with him in that process, to serve as mentors, to help with club, to be one of those consistent voices. And yet there are other kids who will, their, their caregivers, their circumstances won't allow them to participate. And, and those are the tough ones because those are the ones where we have to stand there with open hands and realize there's nothing else we can do. But God wills and God acts. And his good purpose is not just for me and not just for you and not just people who've grown up in the, the right circumstances with the right type of parents and the right community around them. But he wills and acts for every single one of his children. And whatever your situation is this morning, that truth remains for you as well. He will continue to work out his salvation in your life. And as you take it seriously, as you commit yourself to him, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and give you power and give you strength to keep moving forward. Will you stand with me? I wanna pray for you. The band's gonna come and, and lead us in a final song, give us a chance to respond to what the Lord is saying today. God, we come and you see the condition of our lives. You see the condition of our hearts. And Lord, I pray first of all for those who have never said yes to you. They've never received your salvation. They've never confessed their sins and acknowledged their need to surrender their life to you. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come and reveal to them their need for you. This morning, may they make that decision to receive your forgiveness, to receive your new life, to allow you to be their Lord and Savior. And God, I pray for those whose circumstances are making it difficult for them to see how you're going to work it out. The physical pain, the emotional trauma, or their relational problems, there, there are so many ways that we feel weighed down by life. But we come today, Lord, believing that you are the one who wills and acts to achieve your good purposes. So we surrender to you once again. We ask that you would give us the ability to have a, a big picture view of our life and of your power to work in every circumstance. Jesus, we surrender to you. Holy Spirit, come speak words of hope, of life, of encouragement to us in Jesus' name. As the, as the band leads us in a final song, if you would like somebody to join with you in prayer, you can head out the back doors and to your left, our prayer team will be waiting for you in the prayer room to pray those prayers. The rest of us, we're gonna sing this song as just a statement of our faith that what God has done, he will continue to do.
daily to what you're doing within us, God, we are reminded that you see the end from the beginning, and God, that you finish what you start. You're a faithful God, and so, Lord, we trust in that this morning. We stand with confidence. Lord, we trust in you, because we know that the things that you are working within us right now, you will finish. We believe that with all of our heart this morning. So, God, we take joy in that. We let peace fill our hearts, and we choose to continue pushing forward, moving into the new things that you're calling us to, walking step with you, step by step with you every day, Lord. Our trust is in you. We love you, God. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for finishing what you start, for you are a faithful God. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. As you go, may you go in God's grace and in his peace. We'll see you again next Sunday. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.